Welcome to Title Tea, where we bring you all the tea on tough title transactions. We'll touch on real-life title issues and how to ensure a painless real estate transaction. We're just two Texas escrow officers who want to share our experiences. We learn the hard way, so you don't have to. My name is Libby, and I'm here with Nikki. So Nikki, what you got? Well, we're back. We did. We made it through episode one. I have my coffee. It's 3.30. This is my, this is my first caffeine of the day. I am on no caffeine of the day, so uh, but I'm still holding out. If I fall asleep, <laughs> apologize. She won't fall asleep. <laughs> Last week, we talked about wills, and we hope you listened. This week, we are going to be talking about affidavits of airship. So we're going to give you a lot of information about how those are used in a transaction, when they're used, all of the hurdles that you can kind of come across when you have an affidavit of airship. We are going to first start out with the difference between a testate and intestate. Testate is having left a valid will, and intestate is when the deceased has passed away without a written will, which our heirs will be decided then by intestate secession. And Nikki, I'm going to let you kind of jump in about that, the details on that, um, what it is, and a little bit more explanation on that. Yeah, so essentially, if you pass away and don't leave a will, the state decides what happens to your assets. There are laws in place that determine who will inherit your estate. thing to keep in mind here is that the affidavit of heirship doesn't transfer ownership. So when we have somebody that inherits through intestacy, they inherit the moment somebody's passed away. So that transfer actually takes place immediately. So all we're trying to do in that situation is identify who has inherited that property. So how do we do that? The state outlines it in a couple different ways. The laws did change in 1993. So if somebody passed away before 1993, it's going to look a little bit different, but we're going to focus on what happens if they've passed away after 1993, because that's really what we're starting to see more and more of. So first off, we're going to also separate it between community property and separate property. So there's two different types of property that we're looking here. Community property is property that I own with my spouse. Separate property is property that I own not with my spouse. It gets a little confusing because when we look at it from a title perspective, we have to automatically assume that it's community property because it's a lot harder to prove separate property when you're married. The state just automatically assumes it. You have to prove that it's separate property. And we may touch on all of that in a later episode, but we're just going to focus on what happens when the property is community versus separate. So separate property is really easy. Separate property is property that I own without my spouse. When I pass away with no will, the property goes 100% ownership to my children. And then my spouse, if he lived in the property, would have life estate interest. That means that he has the right to live in the property until he passes away. Once he passes away, the children are able to do whatever they would like with the home. He can also vacate the life estate, and then the children can sell the home if they wish, but they cannot sell it while he is living in it because he has the right to that life estate. So really easy, separate property, 100% to the children, life estate, rights to the spouse. 
community property gets a little bit more confusing. So community property is where I own this property jointly with my spouse. And if I pass away, my ownership of that property passes in different ways depending on the children that I have. So if I'm married and my children are biologically the children of my spouse, then the spouse inherits 100% of the property. The crux comes when I have children that are not biologically related to my spouse. In that case, my children inherit 50% of the property and my spouse inherits 50% of the property. And this also is where that affidavit of heirship comes into play on how we figure out these things. And we'll get into that in just a few minutes about how that process works. And then also kind of keep in mind too, um, Texas is a community property state. Yep. So it's automatically assumed community property. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about when we use this affidavit. So obviously we've talked about intestacy where if you die without a will, the state decides what happens. And then that is a scenario that we can use the affidavit of heirship, but we can also use the affidavit of heirship if there is a will. If the will isn't probated, we can still use an affidavit of heirship, but the heirs of the affidavit of heirship still have to be listed in the will. We can't use an affidavit of heirship to show the children are inheriting the property if the will says, I'm going to leave my house to my second cousin, Phil. Can't do that, right? The will needs to be in line with who is actually going to inherit the property. Right. So in this case, um, we could potentially have an issue if the will does contradict who does inherit the property through intestate. So what is an affidavit of heirship? It is a legal document that declares who the heirs of a deceased person are. Again, it is not a document that is used to transfer the ownership of the property left by a deceased person. It is a sworn statement that contains information about the family history and the relationships of the descendants. When this situation does get brought to title, there are a few documents that we do need a copy of the death certificate, an airship questionnaire from our attorney that we'll give to the client. The questionnaire is going to require the client to provide two disinterested witnesses that knew the deceased for at least 10 years, but they cannot be directly related to the deceased and cannot be financially benefiting from the sale. So the children can't be the witness to the person that's been deceased. We're looking for neighbors, coworkers, friends that knew them. In some cases, we can have family members, but they need to be um, people that aren't direct descendants or directly related. Correct. So can't be super close relations to the deceased. The questionnaire, it's a very detailed document that is going to ask questions about the deceased, including if there was a probated will. Spouses, current or prior, there's children from any and all marriages, as well as adopted or deceased children. Once the questionnaire is completed, our attorney will prepare the final affidavit to be sent to the disinterested parties listed on the questionnaire. 
it does have to be signed in front of a notary and the original notarized document has to be sent back to us and at closing we record it with the deed sounds like an easy process sounds like it's super simple but this process can take a while um, you know sometimes finding someone that has known the person who's passed away for 10 plus years if they were old old it's hard to find somebody that is still in the picture so this part does get a little bit tricky so there is another element of this that we have to talk about underwriters when they look at this they really would like to see that enough time has passed between when somebody passes away and we rely on this document they want time for if there is a will for it to potentially be probated they want time for any potential creditors to have settled that with the estate. And the time that they're looking for generally is about six months. There are some cases in which some of our underwriters may allow us to accept this before the six months has passed. In this case, they will require a copy of the death certificate. They will also require a copy of the credit report. They have to have proof that all bills have been paid from the hospital, and they also have to have proof that all funeral expenses have been paid. A lot of the feedback that we get is, especially around that credit report, that seems a little daunting for people. Typically, they'll accept just a freecreditreport.com, and it can take some time to get that payment confirmation, especially from the hospitals regarding any medical bills depending on how long ago they passed away. Yes, so this is a great way to include your title people early on before you go under contract so that we can go ahead and get this process started for you after you go to your listing appointment and get everything we need ready so that it doesn't cause any delays in the closing itself once the contract has been executed. Well, we heard from him last week. We decided to bring him back. So his wishes are coming true. So if you didn't listen last week, I want to introduce to you guys Don Tomlinson, the attorney of record at Texas Premier Title. So Nikki, I know you had a chance to sit down with Don. So let's just take a second and hear how that went. We're back here with Don Tomlinson joining us again this week. Thanks for coming back. So we're talking about affidavits of airship. And one of the questions that we get is, we are past the time when I can probate a will, and yet the will they left behind does not match with intestacy set out by the state as to who would inherit the property. What are the options that the clients have? Yeah, so at that point, if they're going past the four years and the will doesn't match, you know, you can't use the affidavit. You guys have already discussed that at length, I'm sure. So you really only have one option for real estate at that point, and that's the monument of title, which is maybe the weirdest word. Uh, monument of title. So in that case, it's similar in that you're going through a probate-like process. So it's uh, a little more complex because you have to work with the court, but also extremely simple compared to a traditional probating of a will. So that allows you to transfer the real estate. If you're past the four years, you have a will and it wouldn't, it doesn't match intestacy. So you couldn't use an affidavit of airship. That's the option that you have. You'd want to get counsel on that to help you through that process. So it's one of those situations where it's quick, but it's going to cost you a little bit. And then a follow-up question from a title perspective, what are the risks that you see in taking on using an affidavit of airship in a transaction? 
Yeah, I mean, it's you think of it from our standpoint, it's incredibly risky. You're basically just having someone acknowledge that these are the errors and everything's good to go and they just haven't notarized. I don't know if you've ever had something notarized, but it's not a real complex process, right? It's not like they vet things out. They just stamp it acknowledging it's your signature. So from an evidentiary standpoint, it's a little, it can be considered a little weak, right? Relying on a person's affidavit. We don't go on Facebook. We don't do any kind of investigation. We just rely on what's submitted to us. So from a risk perspective, considering that typically in the state, the real estate is the biggest portion, we're taking a pretty momentous risk allowing that to proceed in the way it does. So it's really simple for the clients. It makes life relatively straightforward and easy for the purposes of transfer real estate. But from our side, the risk is pretty high. So we accept that, uh, make sure we get it insured properly, but it is one of those things that makes you a little bit nervous. So you're really paying attention to make sure those things are done properly and everything feels the right way. All right. So take this a little bit further. Have you ever had a situation where it came back and somebody lied on the affidavit of airship and what, what did you do to clear that? Uh, I mean, uh, yes, I've had something happen. I don't, you don't want to say somebody lied, but I did have somebody that forgot they had a, another child. Um, and that was, gosh, it's been about a year and a half, two years back. Uh, basically we found out that there was an additional child because the child had written us a letter asking if the, the sale had taken place on her mother's home and it had already occurred and closed and funded. So at that point, the transaction was over. This child didn't know that the transaction had taken place. So it put us in a really bad place because now we have someone who would be uh, as part of the succession under intestacy. So had rights in the property, uh, given the nature of the family and all, I won't get into all that, but the reality was she had rights. So you have to think that through, like, what are we going to do to solve that? In this situation, what we decided was, how much is it going to cost us to litigate this what would be taken from the person that closed because it was their retirement? What is a daughter entitled to? And you kind of do the math. We mapped it out and basically uh, entered into a settlement arrangement to make it kind of go away quickly. But it was, it was one of those things you learn from and we'll never forget the fact that we had a father who forgot they had a forgot they had a child. And who would who would imagine you could forget that, right? Now it's burned in my brain forever. For sure. Let's go ahead and jump into some real life scenarios. Nikki, I know you've got a couple that you've dealt with. So what what you got on that? Yeah, I'd like to give you guys two examples and they kind of touch on some different areas uh, that we've seen on this. So number one being an affidavit of airship where somebody's passed away a really long time ago. The client in question actually passed away in the late 80s. And then the children just moved into the home. So there wasn't really a need to transfer ownership at all. There wasn't a will. So there was no probate to look at. And then when those children went to go sell the home, what we looked at was doing an affidavit of heirship, except that their father passed away when he was in his 70s. And unfortunately, when we're talking about going back 30 years, anybody that really knew their father wasn't around anymore. All that was really left was the children who, as we previously discussed, can't sign that affidavit of heirship and we need those disinterested parties. In this case, I took that directly to one of our underwriters. In this case, as a workaround, the underwriter was actually able to do some research through Ancestry.com and determine that the children we were working with in the transaction were in fact 
the only heirs of that individual, and he was able to give us the approval to move forward without having those disinterested parties. That doesn't mean that this will always be the case. So if the underwriter didn't have that comfortability in moving forward, this may have been a case that ended up in front of a judge for a judge to look at all of the facts, look at the heirs, do their own research, and then make a determination that way. The affidavit of heirship isn't always going to be the right answer. Sometimes you're going to have to go through more extreme measures in a situation that calls for it. The other example that I want to give you is when we talked about intestacy and how the children can inherit property with the spouse retaining that life estate, we had a situation where that actually took place. In our situation, a gentleman inherited the property from his mother and his mother's husband retained the life estate in the property. Problem that we ran into was from the client's attorney's perspective, the stepfather, so the mother's husband, had all but abandoned the life estate. He had moved out of the house and into a nursing facility. But when the underwriter looked at the file, they wanted actual proof that this person abandoned that life estate. So they wanted the stepfather to sign a deed vacating his life estate, or if he was unwilling to do so, they wanted proof from the court that the life estate was vacated. So this may have required the client going through his attorney, through the court system to vacate that life estate, which can cost money, can take time. So this is, again, one of those instances where if you've got a situation, let us look at it. Let us go over what the potential options are. If we can do an affidavit of heirship, we can get that process started. Or if we run into some issues, we'll have those issues identified before you go under contract and having the potential delay in your transaction. So that was two great examples on different situations that we've had to deal with. We understand this is a lot of information and it definitely gets confusing. If you ever have any questions, feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook, our Instagrams. That's all on the website. So feel free, check it out, play around, get to know us a little bit. We hope to hear from you. So far, we've talked about wills. We've talked about affidavits of airship. Next week, we're going to jump into trusts, which may not sound like they have anything to do with death and title, but we're going to tell you about how they are. So make sure you join us next week on Title T, and we will see you then. That was, that was brutal. <laughs>